Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening where we have the opportunity to reflect into the Gospel for Sunday. Uh, this Friday, we have the opportunity to get back into the Gospel of John. Through this ordinary time, we have been in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, last week, it being All Souls Day, we had the opportunity to go through the Gospel of John a little bit, and uh, we will do so again today, uh, because today is uh, the Feast of the Dedication of the Lateran Basilica. And so you might be asking, why in the world would we be having a, a feast day? Well, uh, Debbie Rosales is with me again this evening, so Debbie, great to have you with me. Thank you for having me, Joe. And uh, she is going to tell us why <laughs> <laughs> we celebrate this day on a Sunday uh, why we take out time on a Sunday to recognize a basilica, a building. Yes, it's a very unique feast day for sure. And here's a little brief background. Um, this is the first basilica of Rome. A renovated palace of the Lateran family was consecrated on this date in 324 as the Church of the Most Holy Savior. Nearby communities of monks lent it the name St. John, St. John Lateran is the Pope's Basilica. Fire and earthquake have repeatedly destroyed this structure. Each time it has been rebuilt with care. The beauty and the harmony of the churches destined to render praise to God invite us human beings too, though limited and sinful, to convert ourselves to form a well-ordered construction in close communion with Jesus, who is the true Holy of Holies. Amen. Uh, so the church, in her wisdom, Debbie, uh, went through the Gospels and, uh, yeah, picked out John chapter 2, verses uh, 13 to 22, the cleansing of the temple, because uh, of our Lord's words as it relates to a building. And so we will spend this evening getting back into the significance of the building and why certainly the church uh, selects this Gospel. So with that, I'll go ahead and read. If you have your Bibles out there, John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, the cleansing of the temple. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers at their business. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all with the sheep and oxen out of the temple, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. You shall not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign have you to show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. 
When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Joe, this narrative is in all four Gospels. Why is that? Well, that's an important question, Debbie, and what we need to be thinking about is how we go about interpreting scripture, right? Because, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, while this narrative is in all of the Gospels, uh, it is going to be presented uh, maybe in a different way, with a few different words, because uh, of the intention of the author, because of the audience he's writing to. Okay, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them the synoptic gospels, okay, because they are summarizing the life of Christ. John is more of a theologian, okay? He wants to really focus in on the sign of Christ's works. And as such, what we find in his uh, gospel is a, a deeper and richer theology, essentially. This is why he has the symbol of the eagle, because he soars like a theologian. When you read the Gospel of John, there is layer after layer. Now, for all of that being said, uh, there's some very important notes here as it relates to where we find uh, the cleansing of the temple in the Gospel of John. So there, there's two levels to read this. The first being, of course, that based upon what I just said, John moves the episode to the beginning of his narrative to highlight an important truth, uh, that the temple cleansing uh, makes the same theological point that essentially the previous episode in the wedding feast at Cana makes, that Christ brings a new covenant that supersedes the institution of the old, right? the new wine, the good wine. The second level is most striking, and underneath it, I think there, there stands to be a very powerful point, because ultimately what it points to is that Jesus may have actually cleansed the temple twice. In fact, some have dated uh, the episode of John around AD 27 or AD 28, literally historically cal uh, calculating 46 years from the time that Herod the Great began renovating the temple back in 19 or 20 BC. Certainly this data fits more easily into the early period of our Lord's ministry than the latter part of it, and it highlights then the possibility of two cleansings, which, as many exegetes have, have said, uh, is not only possible, but certainly makes a lot of sense when you start talking about just not history, and, you know, Christ would have gone to the, the temple in Jerusalem once a year, but also theologically, uh, the richness of him cleansing the temple, the beginning and the end of his ministry. So certainly this would be very important. So all of that being said, Debbie, a couple of questions rise to the surface in light of this. What if this was the beginning of his ministry? And what if we were roaming the temple, the outer courts, and suddenly... This Jewish rabbi arrives on the scene and he starts condemning the merchants. He starts flipping tables and money changers and he's going to drive out the sheep and oxen. What is he doing? I mean, that's a little more striking. Okay, if you fast forward three years, that's a little more understandable. Okay, it's the end of his mission. But the beginning, what is it doing? The first point to be had, I think, is this. God in bodily form 
arrives into our lives from the throngs of the smelly, sweaty person. (laughs) Suddenly, behold, he's upon you. And when he's upon you, what is he going to do? He's going to drive out. He's going to cleanse. He's going to uh, fulfill why he came, essentially to come into contact with who we are. And uh, this is what he does 2,000 years later, Debbie. He comes in the very ordinary moment. We walk downtown and maybe a homeless person comes up to us. Is that Jesus coming to us? Well, if we believe in the gospel, then quite simply, it is. That's an absolute truth. It is. So how do we handle that? The smelly, sweaty, homeless, starving person. There he is, right? Are we disposed to respond to that? Are we disposed? I wonder, Debbie, when I was reading this and I thought to myself, are you telling me that he actually cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry? Wait a second. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense because if the gospel is about the good news, the new wine, Debbie, that's overflowing, that's outpouring, then it's going to come to us each and every day so as to transform us. Remember, good news, evangelion, to transform. And we need to allow grace to transform us. In each and every encounter, God will come to us in the most unexpected way. Are we ready? It's a beautiful thought, and um, I I agree exactly. Um, It just makes sense to put it there, to cleanse things as he begins. Mm -hmm. I just seems to fit. There was something you had said previously, and I, I, I want to bring this up because I think it's important to, to this passage, that mm. you had said the reason that the animals were there was because animal sacrifice is, was the sacrifice of the day. Mm-hmm. And he was coming to say, you aren't going to need this anymore mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm the perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And from then on, um, the need for that is no longer in place. So that second cleansing just absolutely makes sense as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a beautiful thought. Yeah, so he drives out the sheep and oxen, and within the context of the temple, you're right. Okay, the previous miracle was the wedding feast of Canaan, mm-hmm. and he provided the new wine. Mm-hmm. Okay, the new wine, certainly, when you start talking about Scripture, Debbie, is symbolic of new covenant life the outpouring Mm -hmm. and overflowing of God's love. And wine certainly is symbolic of joy. So in this outpouring, overflowing of love, uh, John wants us to see uh, that as the new covenant, as the incarnation of what covenant life is all about, uh, behold again, uh, it is suddenly upon you. And I think there's something else to be had here. When we start thinking about this critically within the context of the temple, why did you go to the temple? Well, to worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, uh, what was he flipping over but money changers? And uh, as Origen draws out, what he wants us to see is that our material attachments, our uh, senseless attachments, as Origen puts it, is what gets in the way of the true worship of the one true God. 
And if we can see this for what it is, then our worship will be more true. We are made to ask the question, Debbie, uh, have we made the coin, <laughs> the, the sacrament of our life? What does a sacrament mean? You know, the, the outward sign of an interior reality. Uh, have we made the coin, the sacrament of our life? Are we ready to flip over the altar? Tables, right? Okay, the table represents the altar. Right. So he's <clears throat> flipping them. And this is very provocative, Debbie. The, this whole idea mm-hmm. of money changers on a table. And he's flipping it upside down. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's really a, it, it's a, yes, it's a new episode of the golden calf to some degree. Right. He is in the outer courts and uh, there he is on the outer courts and uh, he's upset. Now it's interesting here, Debbie, the, the word drove out in the Greek is the same Greek that is used when he expels and drives out uh, the adversary in the temptation narrative. Okay. Isn't that interesting? What is going on here? Well, he's literally oathing out. The word uh, exorcism that we have for expelling demons literally means to oath out. I mean, what is this all about? Well, how do you enter into a covenant? But you swear an oath. Oath swearing is all about covenant life with God. So he has come up upon the temple and he sees this false worship. Again, (laughs) an incident like that of the golden calf. And he realizes that, that these folks have bound themselves to the adversary and he's oathing out, he's driving them out. And I love the fact that there's an emphasis on materialism here, the money changers, because this is what we need to have driven out of us, our almost overwhelming appetite for the material good. It consumes us. It overruns us. Certainly, this is what Pope Francis has highlighted. If there's anything that he has brought to the pontificate, it is twofold, really. The first, uh, we need to go to the margins. We need to have a heart for the poor, for the poor, and his constant uh, need to talk about evil. Well, it's no wonder that point number one and point number two of Pope Francis's pontificate is about what? Poverty and evil, because he sees that evil, while it manifests itself in many contexts, it can overwhelm us if we are drowning in materialism. Uh, again, this very much embodies the pontificate of Pope Francis. Uh, vanity. <laughs> Woe to you, vanity. Vanity in the Latin, vanus, emptiness, a, a waste of time. So, uh, are we wasting time uh, in our pursuit of the material good? And again, we need to divest ourselves of all of these attachments so that we might be in turn disposed to worship the one true God. Beautiful. And you were talking about the new wine being for all, as well as his sacrifice for all. So we have this beautiful imagery of the new wine and the body, Mm. the body and blood of Christ. And, And, you know, on the surface, you don't look at that, but as you know, as we're digging a little bit, it's, it's all there. Mm-hmm. You aren't going to need animals because I am the perfect sacrifice, and it's for all. Mm-hmm. I invite all to my table, mm-hmm. to my temple, which is my body. Mm-hmm. It's just an absolutely beautiful thought as we unpack this a little bit. Yeah, and he challenges his critics uh, to destroy not a building, but his body. His body. Right? Think about this. Uh, here again, you have... 
a great deal of irony because it is in destroying his body that we now in his name erect so many buildings Mm. and have life. Mm -hmm. You know, again, why do we celebrate this great feast day? Uh, What's the significance of a building? Over the course of 2,000 years, what we realize all across, just not this country, but our world, is when we share in the mystery of Christ's death in a deep and profound way and are willing to give our lives totally entirely over to him, what happens? Well, by the grace of God and his goodness, uh, we become saints. And uh, if we are so fortunate, buildings, churches uh, are, are erected in our name. And so it is in the dying that ultimately these great buildings are built. And it's a fascinating thing to think about, too, because if you look at least across this country and this state, what do you find? Uh, one very large building after another. But I'm not talking about a cathedral or a basilica or even our, our local church and, and parish. I'm talking about uh, the, the mall, uh, Starbucks. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, now where was I? You know, if you go at least in Chico, you know, you, you go on the other side of town and, you know, Old Navy and, uh, you know, a shoe store. The building's bigger than our local parish. What's going on here? You know, we will erect buildings according to uh, who and what we worship. There's a drama that is going on here that is significant to why we have this gospel as it relates to this important feast day. Beautiful. This first reading talks about us being a temple of the Holy Spirit, too. I Mm. think that's important to draw that in, that they're connecting these two as we make up the body of Christ, mm-hmm. each of us our own little temple. And I love it because in Romans 12, it says um, our spiritual worship, a living sacrifice that like our Savior, we're called to that. We're called to be a living sacrifice through our bodies, through our temple. I just the whole imagery of this temple building mm-hmm. body of Christ, mystical. It, it's just so beautiful. Yeah, to be that new life in Christ. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, that, that, that our very lives would be, would be good and acceptable and a perfect offering. That Those verses from Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, where really you know, Paul is challenging us, in this case certainly, in purity. You know, that we, that we would clothe ourselves with the pure cloth of Christ, that our offering would be a pure offering, a, a pure holocaust. There's a reason why uh, the church gives us this reading, Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, in light of, of the gospel text. So out from this, uh, Debbie, how do we actually apply this to our everyday life, uh, to, to the concreteness and particularity of our everyday life? Uh, earlier we were talking about the table. Mm-hmm and the altar. Well, if you are a teacher, uh, if you are a uh, computer analyst, uh, then the table that you're working at is your altar. If you are a mechanic, that means the engine you are working on is your altar. Mm -hmm. Okay. The idea here is whatever you are doing at that particular moment of your day, that is your sacrifice. That is your offering. And Debbie, circling this point back to our aforementioned discussion as relates to the coin being the sacrament, uh, if we are uh, so busy moonlighting about all the stuff that money can buy and not 
reflecting and contemplating about how God can provide, uh, then we will not be able to offer all that we are to God. And so there's a striking juxtaposition here. Um, Are we tied to the material good that we are not disposed to offer? This is very important, and it really goes right back to the heart of the gospel because enough is enough, our Lord says. Mm -hmm. I love that quote. Uh, He's quoting there in John chapter 2, verse 17. He's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9, uh, which is significant because as he quotes that psalm, that psalm, any time, Debbie, uh, and just as as a reminder for our listening audience, any time that you're reading the New Testament, and the Old Testament is, mm-hmm. is quoted, uh, stop whatever you're doing and go back to the context of that Old Testament quote. Because what you'll find essentially is, well, why it's being quoted. And in this case, uh, you have uh, the righteous grieving, pained by the insults heaped upon God. And so quoting that passage is very important. And again... How do we get in that space, Debbie, where uh, this is happening if we're tied to the material good? I mean, all the church fathers go to, the, you know, to these senseless attachments. And Christ here is saying, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to encounter the love that satisfies, then you have to begin to divest yourself of all of those senseless attachments and enter into this very real personal relationship with me, a relationship that is going to require sacrifice, and that ultimately will satisfy uh, your deepest longings. I'm so glad you brought up that sentence because I had that underlined here. Zeal Mm. for your house will consume me. Mm. The the language there is just so beautiful. Zeal and consume. I mean, those are really powerful images Fire. Yeah. Yeah, fire. Yeah, it, mm. you know, consume me. It takes all. And, and I think in order for us to become these saints and have the building named after, yeah. we, if we don't have zeal for our Father's house, for our own temple, and if it doesn't consume us with this, we talked last, last time I was here about love being a purifying fire. Mm-hmm. You know, this is it. It needs to consume us and purify us. Or we'll do it in purgatory, but mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. do it here. You yeah. know, let's 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 con- be consumed with the things of our Father. It has to drive us. It, it has it, to. It always goes back, Debbie, to that great question of why do you do what you do? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about in the morning or the afternoon or at night? What what preoccupies your time? Mm-hmm. Does zeal for our Father's house consume us to the point that we will surrender anything and everything for the sake of the kingdom of God? And I speak of fire because literally when you start talking about um, zeal, you're talking about ardor, and and in the Latin, that is literally fire ablaze. And of course, we know that the Word of God is fire, right? And it's interesting, (laughs) the last uh, verse there in our gospel narrative that we read today, it it brings us back Mm -hmm. to... What, but scripture. And so all uh, very relevant that we are consumed, that we are caught up in this, in this fire and this zeal. And of course, this is the new evangelization that we've talked so much about, that we're not offering these kind of Debbie side glances. What do we say? Well, you want to know, just let me check this out real fast, Joe. 
or if it's me, well, Debbie, um, can you give me five minutes? Because I, I, I want to see something. What are we doing? Do we have that laser-like focus on the truth of Jesus Christ? And is that focus uh, going to give us life? Does it consume us? You know, just maybe by way of closing thought here, Debbie, I'm mindful of the beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. We often put that into this context of those who shed tears, Mm -hmm. uh, those who are compassionate. Yeah, that works. That fits. Okay. But that's not what our Lord's talking about. What he's talking about is, in essence, what John 2, 17 is about, what Psalm 69, verse 9 is about. It is to look upon man's earthly plight and to do anything and everything in our power to bring light to the darkness that we see, to remedy any potential pain and to alleviate the strain upon uh, the body of Christ. And that is what it means to be blessed, that we are actually grieving over man's earthly plight. You know, have you ever been mo- so moved by something? Wait, wait, I have to stop what I'm doing and take care of this. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I was given a series of conferences in Santa Rosa. And <laughs> I was, you know, I was uh, talking on the new evangelization. And, and a gal stands up in the middle of the talk. And she says, oh, oh, oh. And I said, is everything okay? You know, I thought, <laughs> what's going on? She says, I left my purse in the gym. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> you left your purse in the gym. She says, I'm so sorry. Can you stop? I, I don't want to miss anything. Can you stop? And I'll run back. And I'm like, um, I don't know if I could stop. I don't know how long that's going to be. But, you know, no, ma- no matter what was going on, she realized, I mean, it just, she needed to get her purse for good reason. It consumed uh, her. Yeah, it consumed <laughs> her. Now, I'm a little playful with this, but do we think about this as it relates to the stuff of God? Do we stop what we're doing and say, oh, there's a mission to be had here, right? I don't know. Do we? To question, Debbie, I think we need to start asking ourselves a very important question. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. I was just thinking of, um, you know, some of you out there who are active in your parish or active in evangelization. You may have friends and family that say, you know, aren't you a little overboard? Aren't you a little... You, you spend too, you need a little more balance in mm-hmm, your life. Mm-hmm. And I, the thought that comes to me always is, I really doubt that when I get to the judgment seat of God, that he's going to go, you know what? Yeah. You just gave a little too much. Yeah, yeah. You're a little too consumed, a yeah. little too much. I just don't see our father doing that. Yeah. yeah, because what it's about, I mean, he's our beloved. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I mean, my wife is never going to say to me, you're serving me too much. I mean, absolutely. I mean, think about it. It's silly. And yet, why? Because I think uh, when we do enter into Christ's headship of what it means to serve, it challenges people. And so we need to look in the mirror, Debbie, and challenge ourselves. Absolutely. And allow one another, allow those people out there who are uh, serving the heart of God, no matter what faith or denomination, to challenge us. Mm-hmm. Very important. I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm glad we were able to to talk about this. This wasn't necessarily on my radar screen, but I think this is what the Holy Spirit um, was desiring. Let us close in a word of prayer, Debbie. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.